If you've been with us, we have been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we ended that last week. So, we're going to start a new series for about the next eight weeks. And um, just so you know, when I, when I come up with what I'm work on, what I'm going to preach, what I usually try to do in a given year is, uh, now you know what I'm going to talk about, oh, but that's good. Um, in a given year, what I try to do is I try to do, uh, we're a Bible church, and what that means is we, we, we place a great importance on what the Bible says, not necessarily on what culture says or tradition or things like that. We, we try to get back to the original source as much as possible. So we encourage you to read your Bible for yourself. We encourage you to learn all you can about God through the scriptures and, and that kind of thing. So I try to kind of keep a good balance if you come here on a regular basis, what I try to do is give you a balance throughout the year. So typically in a given year, if you come here in a year, you're going to hear me at, on average most of the time. Um, I'm going to preach something from the Old Testament. I'm going to preach something from uh, the life of Jesus. And then I'm going to preach something from the New Testament. So it kind of gives us a, that, that way I don't get stuck in one place in the Bible and that's all the place that we do. So it forces me to go to the Old Testament and go to the New Testament and look at the life of Christ. So, you know, we just finished a series on the fruit of the Spirit, dealing with some New Testament stuff. So this morning, we're going to start a series on the I Ams of Jesus Christ, all right? And uh, so let me give you a little bit of background so that you understand, because um, actually we're not even going to go to, to that this morning. We're going to go to the Old Testament, but that'll be fun. So anyway, here we go. Uh, here's the idea. When the Gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each writer focuses on a different thing when regards to the life of Jesus Christ, okay? So, Matthew, when Matthew writes the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, he is trying to present Jesus as king. So, a lot of the things in the book of Matthew refer to or illustrate or back up that idea of Jesus as king, okay? So, we have the birth of Jesus Christ in Matthew. Why? Because a king's birth was really important. He had to have the right genealogy. So we have in Matthew the birth of Jesus Christ. When the Gospel of Mark is written, Mark is presenting Jesus as a servant. No one cares about the birth of a servant. They're a servant. So therefore, when you get to the Gospel of Mark, we have no record of the birth of Christ. Nobody cares about the birth of a servant. Okay? So... Christ is presented as a servant. When you get to Luke, um, Jesus is presented um, as the Son of Man. And so the humanity of Jesus is often focused on in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke was a doctor, so there's a lot of physical things that are talked about in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Because he's a man, we all celebrate birthdays, so... In the book of Luke, we have the birth of Jesus Christ in the book of Luke as well. When you get to the Gospel of John, John is presenting Jesus as God. So therefore, in the Gospel of John, we see a lot of things that allude to the idea or back up the idea that Jesus Christ was God, was the Son of God. So in John, since God has no beginning and no end, you have that whole thing in John you don't have the birth of Christ mentioned, but you do have this whole thing in John chapter 1 about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was made flesh, this whole idea that God's always existed. Consequently, in the book of John, you see a lot of the miracles of Jesus because 
miracles were done by God. So, therefore, so one of the big themes in the Gospel of John is the I am's of Jesus Christ, okay? Because what happens is when Jesus, and there's seven of them, and starting next week, we're going to look at a different one each week, but this morning we're going to look at this phrase, I am, because if you don't understand this, you're going to miss the whole thing, all right? So that's why I want to spend time getting this right, because this is the foundation for the next seven weeks, all right? Uh, Because to us, if I looked at you and said, you know, um, I'm a pastor, what are you focused on? What word? Out of those four words, what are you focused on? Pastor, right? When he uses the phrase, I am the door, okay? I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the good shepherd. When he uses those phrases, the second they use the phrase, I am, he had their attention, okay? Because their focus was the I am, all right? So we went, we're going to go in, we're going to get Old Testament a little bit this morning. We're going to understand this. We're going to make some applications for us and And then it'll give us a great foundation as we head out. So, let's understand that in the Jewish world, names are super important. Uh, Names tell you all kinds of things. Um, In in our culture, for instance, if I'm going to introduce myself, I say, you know, my name's Jim Thomas. And that's that's what you know. That's the way we do it in America. In the the, um, Jewish world, choosing the name for a child was huge. Because you were actually choosing the character or the things that were going to be important in that child, right? If you had to describe yourself throughout history, oftentimes, I would not say, hi, I'm Jim Thomas. What I would say is, going back, and and this will click with some of you, I would say, my name is Jim, son of James, executive of Texaco, of the house of Thomas from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and I would, go, I would start going back and back and back and back and back. And actually, my dad started tracing our genealogy. It's kind of fascinating. Um, and um, Custer's Last Stand, okay, Custer's Last Stand. There's a Thomas that was involved with the group right before Custer's Last Stand. So... He bailed So, before that battle. So, in our family history, I either have somebody who was brilliant or a coward. We're not sure which way to go with it in the family history, but um, the Thomas, it's like the Thomas genealogy goes back, and it's like, okay, he left, he left Owens, or Owensboro to go there, and then, uh, so anyway, so it kind of, not Owensboro, but um, um, oh, wherever that, wherever the ants were from, great ants were from. Huh? Elizabethtown, that's it. Uh, E-Town is what they called it growing up. So anyway, uh, but he left that, ca- so anyway. <clears throat> that's the whole thing. That was a big, 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 big deal, okay? So let's just stop and think about it for a minute. So now, let's say that God has to explain to you who he is and what he's all about. How does he do that? In the Jewish world, he did that through his names, okay? And the names were very, very important. So, when you start in the book of Genesis, you see two main names used for God, right? Um, and the, the, first, the first, right off the bat, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Okay? And you've read that verse, okay? There are all kinds of Hebrew names that in your English Bible are translated God and Lord and stuff like that. And so, this will give you a little bit of a help as we lay out some groundwork, 
In the beginning, God, the Hebrew word is Elohim. It has the focus of creator, powerful, justice. You, you see those kinds of ideas. So when you read in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created blah, 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 God, 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 that's Elohim. That's creator focus, okay? Um, then a little bit later, we're introduced to the name of uh, God that is, that is translated in your Bibles, Lord, okay? Small L-O-R-D, small, small case L-O-R-D. Um, that's the word Adonai. It has the idea of master. It has the idea of ruler. It has the, 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 the idea of person in charge. So what we would say is in our house, Jean is the Adonai. She's the one in charge, okay? Uh, you know, she's, she's the Lord, uh, kind of. Um, she just lets me think I am. Uh, but anyway, that, the idea is that's the person kind of in charge. That's the person who's calling the shots, kind of the ruler thing. So you see that idea in the book of Genesis, okay? When we get to Exodus, uh, we are introduced to a different concept, all right? So I'm going to jump ahead, and then I'm going to go backwards, all right? So... Here's a big key verse in Exodus that helps us understand it, okay? This is in Exodus chapter 6. Um, we're going to go to Exodus 3 in a minute, but Exodus 6, here's what God says to Moses. I am the Lord. Now, notice that it is all capitals, okay? Anytime in your English Bible you see the word Lord as all capitals, or sometimes you see it as capital L, and then small case, capital O-R-D, okay? That is the word um, Yahweh, all right? So here's, it's pronounced, it's, it, the, Hebrew, the Hebrew language has no vowels, okay? So you've got to kind of guess, all right? So in the Hebrew, there's four letters, Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, okay? So... We translate it um, Yahweh, or a more English translation you're more familiar with is Jehovah. Okay? So, all of a sudden he says, God says to Moses, I am Jehovah. Okay? I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But my name, the Lord... Jehovah, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. He said, Moses, here's what you need to understand. I want a different relationship with you than I have with those guys. With those guys, I had to show them my power, El Shaddai, um, all-powerful. And I did powerful things with them. But Moses, I want a personal, close relationship with you. I want to be Jehovah, Yahweh. I want that inter-closeness, that that one-on-one kind of relationship. Um, And so that's what God establishes. And we have this idea then that runs throughout the Old Testament of the idea of God wanting a relationship with his people as Jehovah. Um, And so that becomes a big turning point in the book of Exodus. We get away from, we still see God as creator, we still see God as Lord, but he wants to be the focus to be this idea of Jehovah, this idea of connectedness, okay? So, now with that in mind, let me give you the background of the I am thing. So here's where we are. Um, Crash Reader's Digest version of, you know, 
I, you know, you have to realize I'm dating myself when I say stuff like that, because people under 30 are going, what's Reader's Digest? Um, and some of you are going, what? They don't know? No, they don't know. But anyway, the Reader's Digest is like the condensed version of it, all right? Little magazine came out. We all used to love it, and the cartoon things were the best. But anyway, uh, life in these United States, that was the coolest thing. But anyway, they, th this whole idea was, um, I don't even know how I got there. Uh, here's the Reader's Digest version. All right, so here we go. Uh, Egypt, uh, Pharaoh, all of the gods, Pharaoh decides um, there's too many Jewish children, kill all the males. And so the command went out. When a Jewish boy is born, kill them. Okay? And they would do that. So, by the way, abortion's not new. Okay? It's been around for a long time. So that was the idea. The idea was Pharaoh said there's just too many of them. They're multiplying like crazy, so just kill all the boys, and, and we'll, we'll solve our problem. Um, and what happened was, so Zephora is having a child, and she has a child, and uh, it's a male, and they try to keep it quiet, and they don't kill it. Often they would kill it, here's the irony, often they would kill it by throwing them in the water and just let them drown and float downstream. That's, how they, that's one of the things that they would do. And so rather than do that, the... Um, medwives, Shifra and Pua, uh, decided that they couldn't do that, and they gave it to uh, Zephora and Miriam, his older sister, and they're trying to keep this baby quiet. Finally, they got to a point they couldn't keep the baby quiet anymore, so they decided, you know what, we're going to obey the king, Pharaoh, we're going to put the baby in the river, in a basket, and trust God. And so they put this little baby in a basket, and then, you know how the whole thing goes, Pharaoh's daughter's out there taking a bath, she sees this little, hears this noise, goes over there, finds this little Jewish boy in a basket, she draws it out of the water, in Hebrew, called Moses, and names it Moses, drawn out of the water. So she has this little baby Jewish boy now called Moses, doesn't know now what to do with it, knows that it has to be nursed, and Miriam, who's watching in the distance, Moses' older sister, comes running up and goes, hey, guess what? I got somebody who'll nurse it for you. Okay, that'll be great. Takes it to mom. Zephora nurses the child. Uh, and then the child eventually gets to a point where it's not nursed anymore, and they take it then, and for the next 40 years, Moses is raised in Pharaoh's court. Now, we minimize this, but what, here's what you need to understand. This little Jewish boy is now raised in Pharaoh's court with all that comes with that. So Moses had the best of the best of the best of the best. Uh, filet mignon every night. Um, whatever he wanted, he had. Uh, he was brought up in a world in which he understood all the pomp and circumstance of the Egyptian. He knew everything about the Egyptian gods. He would have studied the Egyptian gods. He would have done all of that. He spent about 40 years in the Egyptian palace. So Moses is spending all of his time there. One day, Moses is out, and, and when you put all this together, it's fascinating, but Moses is out, and he watches a Hebrew being abused by an Egyptian. So Moses, again, he would have been brought up in Pharaoh's court, which meant he would, have learned, he would have learned how to fight. He would have learned how to kill. He would have learned how to uh, know the stars and the gods and the math and the science and everything else. And he goes hand-to-hand -hand combat up against this Egyptian and kills him. 
and then realizes I have a problem now. I've got a dead Egyptian on my hand. I'm a Jewish boy brought up in Pharaoh's court. If this is found out, I'm going to be dead. So he buries him in the sand, and somebody comes up to him the next day and goes, Hey, uh, I know what you did. And Moses realizes his days are numbered, so Moses hightails it out of there. Uh, Moses now spends 40 years in the desert taking care of sheep. Uh, so now all of a sudden, Moses, and again, just what you think about this for a minute. The reason Moses fought the Egyptian was because somewhere along the line, he learned who he was as a Hebrew. Um, I, I think that was those formative years with mom, okay, that even in up to the age of probably four or five, uh, maybe, uh, she was able to instill in him who he was as a Hebrew, and um, that that's really who he was. He was just being raised in an Egyptian environment. So he kills him. He goes out the desert. Moses spends now, at this point, when we see this story this morning in Exodus chapter 3, Moses has been being a shepherd in the, in the desert for about 40 years, taking care of sheep, figuring out where we're going to feed them next, where we're going to go get water, how we're going to take care of this, where we're going to sleep, fighting off any of the wild animals. He's been doing that for 40 years. He's just going through a normal day. He got up just like he did every other day. He's walking, and he sees a bush that is on fire. And he takes a second look, and the bush isn't being consumed, and that's, that's unusual. So Moses literally walks over to check it out. And you read in Exodus chapter 3, the beginning of the story, uh, Moses goes to check it out, and basically the bush starts talking. And at that point, it's like, whoa, talking bushes, uh, you know. And basically, God says, stop where you are, don't come any closer. And Exodus 3 starts out saying it's an angel of the Lord, okay? But as you go farther into Exodus, and you can read it for yourself, as you go farther into Exodus chapter 3, what happens is the bush, God, speaking to Moses, says, Moses, the ground you're on is holy ground, get your shoes off. And Moses realized he was, for the first time in his life, dealing with God one-on-one, okay? And the Bible says he falls down. He won't even look at the bush anymore. Once he realizes this is God, um, he's, he's, I mean, you know, he's prostrate on the ground saying, okay, just tell me what to do, and da da, da. That's where we pick up our story. Basically, God looks at him. Basically, God says, the bush says, here's the deal, Moses. I've listened to the cries of my people, the children of Israel, who have been in Egypt all these years. I am now going to deliver them, Moses. They're going to come out of the land, Moses, and guess what? You're the guy to take them out. You're going to lead them out, Moses. Now, up until this point, Moses has been 40 years in in Pharaoh's court. He's been 40 years in the desert. He's kind of got his retirement plan figured out. He kind of knows what's ahead for his life. It's a normal day. It's an extraordinary event. And all of a sudden, Moses' world is turned upside down. And Moses, like you and I, would have a ton of questions. Why are these people who don't even know who I am, I've been in the desert for 40 years, why are they going to follow me? And why is Pharaoh, who's the most powerful person in all the world, going to listen to me? God, that just doesn't make sense. You, God, you understand, I'm a shepherd. I'm happy here. I don't need this added to my life, God. I'm good. Okay? Just let me die out here with the sheep. God has bigger plans. 
So, with that in mind, we come to Exodus chapter 3, and this is where we start. Then Moses said to God, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the gods of your fathers, God, see, okay, Elohim, the God of your fathers has sent you to me, and now they may say to me, what is his name? Because again, in Egypt, names were everything. Every god had a name, and every god that was associated with that name had things that were associated with him. So, you know, you know, Dagon had certain things he was associated with. Uh, he wasn't an Egyptian god. He was a Philistine god. But everybody had an association, okay? Now they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you're going to say. You will say to the sons of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. Now, that's confusing to us because we don't understand what God was saying. But here's basically, let me give you some different translations. Here's one translation. Um, one translation is, I caused to be because I caused to be. That's a lot clearer, isn't it? Um, uh, here's another one. I will be who I will be. When you go to Israel and they say, who sent you? You say, I am that I am sent me. Here's what God was saying to Moses. Moses, here's what you need to understand. I will be whoever I need to be. If I need to be deliverer, I'll be deliverer. If I need to be judge, I'll be judge. If I need to be power, if I, if I need to be powerful, I'll be powerful. I'm always, I've always been and I always will be. And Moses, I'm going to do what I need to do. And you just need to trust me. And so does Israel. I am who I am. I am God. I will take care of you, Moses. I will do what I need to do when I need to do it. And you just need to tell Israel that's the way this is going to work. That, so, so you need to understand now. So this I am that I am has always been associated with God. So when Jesus comes on the scene 2,000 years later, and he goes, I am the bread of life. You need to understand, they stopped at I am. Because they're going, Moses, God, whoa, you are claiming to be God. And he's saying, and this is, the, this is going to be the brilliance of what he does in John, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. He's saying, I will be what I need to be. And here's a characteristic, here's an attribute of me you need to understand. And to Moses, what he's saying is, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am that sent me to you. That's who's coming. That's who's behind you guys. I will do what I'm going to, getting ready to do. And then he goes on. Here's what he says. God furthermore said to Moses, thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. He now introduces the idea of Jehovah. So it's hard to see this way. Let me show it to you this way to help you understand it. I am has sent me to you. God also tells him, say to the Israelites, Jehovah has sent me to you. He links 
these two ideas, I am and Jehovah, into one concept. I am. I want a relationship with you. I will take care of you. I will do what I'm getting ready. I will do what I need to do, Moses. You just have to trust me. And he brings these two ideas together. Okay? So as we talk about this in the weeks ahead, and we talk about this idea of I am the door. I am the bread of life. You need to understand, he's saying, I have the ability to do this, and this is how I want to be that in your life. Okay? So let's just deal with the I am Jehovah idea this morning and, and, and leave it at that. Let's pull some applications, some things that will help us. Here's the first thing. God is God. And you're not. Now, that sounds really simplistic. But we forget this idea. And we think God owes us an explanation for what He's doing in our lives. We think we are entitled to a, God, how come you're letting that happen to me? God, how come this is going this way? God, I want it to go this way. God, do you love me? Because if you love me, you'd make it go this way. And we think God owes us something. The whole concept behind I am Jehovah is this. God is God. He can do what He wants because He's God. And we forget that. We start getting this entitlement mentality in Christianity that God owes us something because we're trying to do a certain, we're trying to act a certain way. Well, God, you don't understand. You know, like, I mean, I, like I went to church this week, so you should bless me. Well, God, you don't understand. I talk nice to my wife, so bless me. God, you don't understand. You, I did this for you, so now you do this for me. No, God's God, period. And we forget that. God can do whatever He wants. He is who He is. And He doesn't owe us an explanation for doing stuff. And I think it's important because we forget that. Because here's the thing. <clears throat> he does want what's best for us. And he does work towards a bigger plan that you and I have no clue about. You might get a clue sometime on this planet, but most likely it'll be heaven before we figure it all out. But you have to be like Moses and trust him and say he knows what he's doing. And even though I want it to go a different way, God's got a bigger plan. And I'm going to let God be God, and I'm going to let God do what he wants to do, and I'm going to be a tool in his hands to allow God to work and develop and my life to be able to make a bigger impact for the kingdom of God. I'm going to let God be God. Some of you know that one of my passions is glass blowing. And I, I mean, I, I, like, there's passion and then there's obsessed. I'm really close to obsessed, okay? Um, and Because I love it. I mean, I absolutely love it. There's just something about it. And so I'm fascinated by it. So when I get a chance and I have free time, I learn everything I can. Glassblowing is one of those interesting, uh, it's, it's one of those interesting things where there's not a lot written. It's a visual medium. So the only way you really learn about glassblowing is you, you do, you watch, or you have somebody teach you. So it's a very, very, and this appeals to me, it's a very visual thing, okay? So because there's the two closest places, for us right now to do this, and Josh is fascinated with it as I am, uh, two closest places are Omaha and uh, Des Moines. 
and, and we, we know both studios and we get a lot of advice and stuff and learning everything we can from both studios, but it's really hard to take a day and go to Omaha or go to Des Moines and just spend it on that. So I spent a lot of time at home, online, on YouTube, learning everything I can, okay? And so this week I was, I was, watching, um, I was watching a deal on YouTube about glass blowing and, and, I, and I've done it enough and I know enough about it to know there's, there's just certain procedures and there's certain things that you do and, and there's certain ways that you do it. And so I was watching this guy, uh, and I've got a short clip I'm going to show you. I was watching this guy make, um, a, a, it was basically a, a paperweight, and in it he was incorporating ashes. Um, and, and so I'm watching him do it, and I know the procedure. I mean, you know, you, you, you've got it on the end of the blowpipe. Um, you start rounding it out. As you start to get it rounded out, you take your Swedish block and you start molding it until you get that nice, perfect round shape. And then um, once you get that nice, perfect round shape, then you take your jacks and you start making your jack line, which is the way that you're going to break it off of the, off of the, the blowpipe or the punty, and, and, and you get all of that done. And so I'm watching this thing. And in the middle of this, this guy gets the, the, the thing perfect. And then he grabs a tool that I've never seen. He had to make it himself because you can't buy this tool. And he jabs it, and he does something with it. And then as he takes his, I think, I think the way to pronounce it is tagala, uh, tagala, tagala. And he takes the tagala then, and he does this to it. And I'm like, why are you doing that? You're ruining a good, beautiful piece of work. And in the end, it all made sense. Okay? Um, but for somebody who didn't know what he had in mind and why he was doing what he was doing, I questioned it until I saw the end of it. So watch this. It's only a minute long. So um, um, this is a, oh, yeah, that, that's even more awesome. That's a Swedish block. So that's beautiful, right? Most of the time you put your jack line in and call it good. Now he's going to go in and put a jack line in it so that he can break it off, so he can break it off. You know what he's making now, don't you? If you're a glass blower and you're watching that, and you watch him take that thing in there and pick it off and then and take the, the diamond shears and, 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 and cut it like that, you're going, you've ruined the globe, man. But he knew what he was doing. And he knew what he wanted to do at the end. And he made exactly what he wanted to make. God's no different. You and I are sitting back second-guessing it all, wondering why is he doing this? It isn't fair. He shouldn't do it this way. He should have done it this way. He should have done it. God knows what he's doing. And God came to Moses and said, Moses, you don't understand it. This isn't, this isn't just a fluke. I didn't wake up this morning and decide, you know what? Hey, I've got to go find a guy who can lead Israel. I know Moses. He said, I've been preparing you for 80 years for this. This has been part of my plan from the beginning, Moses. I got 80 years up to this point. 
because I want you to be, you're my guy. You're going to lead the children of Israel out. Moses, I have prepared you to take two million plus people out of the land. But it's all said and done. That's how many people you, 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 Israel we're talking about. You're going to get them. You're going to help take care of them in the desert. You're going to feed them. You're going to help take care of watering them. You're going to take care of organizing how the tents are. When they have little squabbles, you're going to fix it all. You're my guy, Moses. You want to know who sent you? I'll be whoever I need to be in order to accomplish what I need to accomplish in your life. You just got to trust me. That's one of the first lessons. And for some of you, you're struggling. They're struggling because it's like, you know what? I just don't understand what God's doing. I don't understand why God's allowed this. And it should have worked out this way and it should have worked out that way. Trust him. Trust him. Because he knows what he's doing. Just like that glassmaker. He knew exactly why. He stabbed it where he stabbed it, pulled it where he pulled it, cut it where he cut it, made the, made the crease in it exactly where he wanted it. He knew exactly what he had in mind. And God is the same way with us. Second idea is this. God introduces this concept that he wants a close relationship with us. Jehovah, Yahweh, personal. Some of you have been brought up in churches or backgrounds where God, it's like God is way, 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 way distant. And, 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 and you have to jump through all of these hoops in order to get close to God. In fact, in some in some faith things. You can't even get close to God because you're not considered worthy enough to be in that position. And you need to understand the God of heaven left heaven to walk here because it's all about personal. It's all about being up close. God said to Moses, Moses, look, I don't want to be some God like the Egyptians have that's way up there that, that, that people have to do all these things to. Moses, you and I you're, we're, gonna, we're gonna be tight. That Moses, I'm gonna let you spend 40 days with me. One on one. In fact, Moses, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you build a place where you can come in and you guys can actually work with me and I can let you know. Moses, I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna give you writings to, so you know what to do. I want a relationship with you, Moses. I wanna be Jehovah, I wanna be Yahweh, I wanna be close. That's what I want. And you need to understand this. The whole purpose of Christmas, the whole purpose of Easter is because God does not want to be distant. God does not want to be something that's way, way, way far off for you. God wants a relationship that is close, that is personal. That's why when Jesus Christ comes in, Jesus Christ comes in and he goes, and I'm not giving it away, but I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. It's about that relationship. And that is our prayer. I, I believe and we believe that you can be as close to God as a pastor or whoever you have in your mind that's close to God. Because we believe that God wants that from us. I believe you can open up your Bible and learn as much as you, come, as you learn by coming here and, and, and listening to people speak. Because you have God and you have the Holy Spirit when you become a believer and you have the Word of God and God can speak and, and, and press upon your life and you can learn and grow too. And that's what we believe. And when God comes to Moses, he says, Moses, listen, 
<clears throat> I'm going to ask some big things of you. If you'll trust me, I will do things you can't even imagine. And what's amazing about this story, and you know, if you know the story of Moses, <clears throat> can you imagine if God would have up front loaded Moses with everything he was going to do? Okay, here's the deal, Moses. Um, you're going to go into Pharaoh ten times, and Pharaoh's going to tell you no ten times. Pharaoh didn't tell people no. Pharaoh killed people. If Pharaoh didn't like the way you looked, your head was off. He's the most important. I mean, I mean people just in, were, were fearful to even walk into the presence of Pharaoh. It was so massive and so intimidating. And Moses was going to go in and say, hey, let my people go. And then he was going to go before a whole bunch of people and say, I'm going to go in and I'm going to help get us out of, out of Egypt. And by the way, when I do that, Pharaoh's going to get mad and he's going to make you work even more. So now he's hated by Israel and all the Egyptians. And then as the plagues start coming, everybody's blaming Moses. And God says, hey, Moses, I want you to sign up for that. Oh, and by the way, when you do go out of Egypt, they're going to let you go. And then they're going to have second thoughts. And the entire Egyptian army is going to pursue you. And you're going to come to a river and you're going to be standing there, Moses. And here's the deal. As you're standing at the Red Sea, you're going to see a sea in front of you. You're going to see an army coming behind you. And you're going to see all of these people who want to know what to do. I am that I am. I'm going to open that baby up for you, Moses. And Moses goes, great. And Moses, they all go across dry shot. And the next thing you know, he turns around and guess who's also walking across dry shot? All the Egyptian army. And God said, time to close this thing up. He wipes them all out. And then three days into it, it's like, oh, so I mean, they stand on the side and they sing praises and all these kinds of crazy things. And then three days later, everybody's going, we're hungry. We ain't got nothing to drink. I think we'd be better back in Egypt. Now he's got a whole bunch of griping, whining people. And it goes on and on and on. And God says, don't worry, Moses. I'll give them water. I'll take care of them. Every day they get up, there'll be manna. Oh, by the way, Moses, we don't need any shoe stores here. Because they're never going to, their sandals are going to last for 40 years, Moses. And Saul said, no. I'm going to take care of them, Moses. I am that I am. I'll do what I need to do. God will do the same thing with you. And some of you are wondering if God will take care of you. If God will do what needs to be done in your life. If God... He will do what he needs to do. I am that I am. You have to trust him. Because I got news for you. When Moses is standing there at that Red Sea, he's got second thoughts. When people start griping and complaining, at, at one point wanting to kill him, he's got second thoughts. When he spends 40 days with God and comes down from the mountain and all of a sudden they're in the middle of idol worship, he's looking at it going... I don't want to put up with this anymore, God. Wipe them out. Let's start all over. God says, Moses, I am that I am. I'll do what I need to do, and he'll do the same thing in your life as well. So my challenge to you is twofold. One, make sure you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God doesn't need to be distant in your life. When you, like all of us, realize you're in need of a Savior, you realize you're a sinner, you need a Savior. As best as you know how, you ask God to come into your life, give you your sin, become your Lord and Savior. It starts that personal relationship. And it becomes real. 
not fake and phony. And then, let God be God. We have people in this church who have gone through horrendous things. Things that I cannot even imagine. But you know what the challenge for all of us is? To let God be God. To realize that God's got a bigger plan. And I may not understand it this side of heaven, but when I get to the other side, it'll make perfect sense. I saw, I should have put a picture of it. I saw the finished piece. It's gorgeous. Why? He knew what he was doing. He knew where he needed to cut. He knew where he needed to pull. Where he needed to make the right deal. Even down to the beginning of the piece, the way he laid out the pattern. It was all purposely planned, step by step by step by step by step, to get what he needed. It's no different in your life as well. God knows what he's doing. I am that I am. I'll do what I need to do. I'll be who I need to be. And he does the same thing in each of our lives. So I end this morning with this. Immediately after telling Moses, oh, oh wait a minute, oh, wait a minute, oh. I got to get to the last page. Here we go. God is the great I am. He will do what he needs to do and wants to do. He will be who he wants to be. It's our job to trust, to follow, to allow him to be God in our lives. Only then can God be our great I am. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we've all got things in our lives where we sit back and we've got questions. Lord, it's not what we plan. It's not how we think it ought to have played out. Lord, you are God. We have to trust. We have to follow. Lord, you're the potter, we're the clay. So help us to mold and shape our lives to what you want for us. Lord, for those in here who don't have a personal relationship, Lord, they believe that for some reason they're, they're not worthy. For some reason, Lord, they can't know you. Lord, would you help them to understand that they can and that, Lord, this idea of Christianity is up close and personal. That it's about a living Savior who wants to be part of our lives. So, Lord, use us, guide us, direct us this week. And, um, Lord, as we come up against things this week, may we learn to trust. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's